Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella, with additional insight from industry veteran Jordan Kimmel. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, and we are back after one week off. Today is Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. How are you, Dominic? I'm doing great. Back uh, back behind the desk and looking forward to getting back to work after a little summer vacation. So grateful to be here with you, Mike. It's good to see you. You'll be happy to know that our stealth bull market uh, continued without you. Um, the headline this evening is the Dow sets another record. I think people would be surprised that we're in record territory, but it seems to be a common occurrence these days. Yeah, look, uh, surprise. I think you're right, Mike, on that uh, point. Um, uh, look, almost every day clients are calling up and going, when is it over? When is it going to roll over? When are we going to see a correction? Um, but the reality is that corporate earnings have been nothing short of spectacular. On the average, companies reporting uh, are beating estimates by uh, over 19%. So kind of expected, uh, but yet uh, having and seeing it realized is a, is a pretty good uh, uh, pretty good data. We're just getting terrific data. Um, going forward, we may have some headwinds, but this, this is very nice to see the economy is on solid footing and definitely recovering. It is on solid footing. And you asked me a question three weeks ago. You said to me, what are you worried about? And you know, we always say in this show, it's not scripted. I had no idea you're gonna, you've been asking that question. And I said, I'm really worried about the Delta variant. And that was three weeks ago. And you know what, Dom? It's 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 like it's like that movie, The Blob. It just keeps kind of slowly creeping along. And I'm more worried about it now than it was three weeks ago. To be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Look, uh, uh, this is a, both a good news, bad news story, right? The the uh, daily count is really uh, dramatic and increasing dramatically. That's the bad news. The good news is that it seems like less people are being hospitalized. That's the having, I think, a large part to the number of people that have been vaccinated. Also, the number of people dying from it uh, is a lot lower. Um, but there is clearly going to be, if not already, uh, an economic effect to us. Uh, uh, we're seeing venues shutting down. We're seeing concerts canceled, sporting events uh, restricted. So there will be an economic impact, but hopefully it'll be uh, substantially smaller than we saw a year ago. And the overall effect maybe kind of tapping the brakes on the economy in the third and fourth quarter, but not hopefully not uh, putting a stop to it. Right. I've had a couple of clients who are fully vaccinated, um, who are a little older, say to me, we're stopping the restaurants again, we've canceled our trips, and we're just kind of going to lay low again until this thing passes. So there will definitely be a, a, a creeping economic effect to, to this very, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, look, uh, some venues are requiring that you be vaccinated before they even uh, allow you uh, in the place. Uh, but one dumb example is, you know, Mike, I, I've been traveling a lot lately. I've been spending an awful lot of time on airplanes. I think in the last 30 days, I've had a COVID test seven times mm -hmm. so that I can get on an airplane and travel. Uh, and when you think about it, look, I did it. Uh, I'm glad I did it. I got, I'm glad I came back safe and healthy. But, you know, that really puts a crimp on your style and really makes you think twice whether you want to travel at all. And I think that's what we're talking about, economic effect. If you don't travel, then you're not getting on an airplane. You're not going to a hotel. You're not going to a restaurant. And that's all economic impact on, on our, here in this country and abroad and worldwide. Absolutely. And, Dom, is it safe to assume that you kept your mask on and you were not duct taped? To your chair? Uh, definitely kept the mask on. The duct tape, I think, is still an issue. Uh, we hopefully no video comes out of it, but a uh, little tongue in cheek. But uh, you've had to keep your mask on on the plane 24 7, right? So the entire time you were on the plane. So, you know, you start thinking about all these little things. And I, I know I have where you go, do I really need to take that trip? Do I really need to travel? 
Uh, and obviously that's impact on my life, but also the businesses that are all involved in that process. Again, we mentioned the airplane, the restaurants, the hotels, the shops, the stores, the, the tourism, right? Um, and to that point, uh, I think Europe in general and uh, the rest of the world is a little bit behind us. And that has global growth implications. Absolutely. And, and I didn't leave the country like you did, but I did fly cross country last month. And, and you're right, the entire time, a six-hour flight, if we weren't eating, we had to keep the mask on, and we, and, and we did. Um, but you're right, there will be people who say, you know what, it's just not worth it to me. Um, just to switch gears tonight, we have an interesting topic. Um, we have Chris Adrian from J.P. Morgan Asset Management, who's actually going to walk us through the whole finance, college financial aid 529 process, which something, Dominic, that should be simple, is really really confusing and hopefully chris will answer some questions for us and our clients yeah we want to jump right in it we get questions about this all the time and we have one of the industry's experts talking to us tonight so looking forward to that so am i and as i said she'll hopefully unpack some of these issues which should be straightforward but unfortunately they're not so on that note we will be right back with chris adrian from jp morgan asset management are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-G-A-X, le tax. Rates on cash are already so low, why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman with Dominic Tavella and our special guest this evening, Chris Adrian from J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Thanks for joining us, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on tonight. Very excited to be with you guys. Welcome. Thank you. So my Chris, very favorite topic. <laughs> so Chris, before the show, we did we had a quick conversation, and you you said very casually that the inflation rate for college costs is six percent a year. Correct, on average. I, I knew it was high. I didn't think it was that high. So my first question is, is that sustainable? And at some point, do colleges get pushed back? And literally parents are saying, I can't, This we got to find another way. We can't afford to send you to college. It's not worth it. It's a great question. And actually, because it is the fastest growing household expense year over year, you would think that supply and demand would help dictate, but perhaps that inflation should come down. Over the last year for COVID, we certainly saw a declining enrollment. Enrollment for incoming freshmen was actually down 10% across the country. And you did see inflation come down slightly, but unfortunately colleges, even though these kids were enrolled online, still paid full boat for tuition and fees. There was no discount last year and what we're actually seeing because of that supply and demand, that actually demand has picked up even more so this year. Now that kids know that they may start school back in school, 
where our plan is actually having a record number of withdrawals right now because families are anticipating their kids going back to school, which is great. You want more and more freshmen to go into school and use those $529 for qualified expenses. But yeah, to your question, demand continues to pick up and that means that that inflation could continue as well. So Chris, Chris, one of the questions I get all the time, and, and obviously parents come in and they want to try to prepare for their kids' uh, future, educational future, but also grandparents is a big, big market for us. We want to help out the grandchildren. Should I be doing a custodial account or a 529? And what are the pros and cons of each? Yeah, great question. Thank you. So a 529 is actually the tax deferred way to invest for college. And I think of a 529, for those of your callers on the line that may not know what those are, I think of them very much like a Roth IRA, where it's after-tax dollars that get invested, it grows tax-deferred, and as long as the money is used for a qualified expense in the future, all of those earnings come out tax-free. And it is the premier way that the federal government has set up college planning for families. An UGMA or an UTMA, a custodial account, is a little bit different because when you invest those dollars, it actually is considered a taxable account. You don't have that tax-free deferral like you do within a 529, but you also are handcuffed by the gifting limits. So let me quickly talk about those for a second. Within a 529 plan, you can actually do what's called an accelerated gift, where you can multiply this year's annual gift limit which is 15,000 per child by five. So for a married couple, they can actually accelerate a gift and do up to 150,000 as one big lump sum. They won't be able to gift again for another five years. It's just a great way to have that power of compounding start right away. Within an UGMA or an UTMA custodial account, again, that the tax is different, the taxation is different, but you can also only gift that one year, you don't have the benefit of that accelerated gifting. So those are the two major differences between a 529 and- Or the tax deferred growth. Exactly, yep. So that's a huge benefit. And having those earnings come out tax-free can be huge. Yeah, more dollars. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, are you done? I apologize. Yes, all set. So the concern I get from clients when I talk about strategy like that is, well, if I do that, then now I can't get financial aid. So clients constantly are reticent to put money away or have that money for 529 when the kid is ready to go to college because they say, well, I don't know why I did this because now I'm going to be penalized. I'm not going to get financial aid. So can you address that? Yeah. That's a great question. We get that all the time across the country. And the reality is if you invest for college in a 529 account, or if you hold it in a checking or a savings account in the parent's name, or if you have it in a taxable investment account, it all counts the exact same. And it's only 5.64% of the entire FAFSA formula. So really small, five cents of every dollar counts towards the FAFSA whether you have it in a 529 or a checking or savings account. So that's the good news is that it actually doesn't hurt them anymore to invest for college. It's all gonna count the exact same when they fill out the FAFSA. And really the biggest driver is the parent's income. That's where a lot of families get phased out of financial aid. And in general, if you have adjusted gross income of about 125,000 as a married couple, or as an individual tax filer, your expected family contribution or what the FAFSA is trying to solve for is typically 100% of tuition costs. So really 125,000 as adjusted gross income is pretty low for most families across the country. And, and that's where families typically would be phased out of federal financial aid. And, and one just quick follow-up question, us being on Long Island, where the cost of living is so high, that $125,000 number is not regionalized at all, correct? Correct, yes. That's actually the federal number that they look at. 
And there's actually a really great website. When you go on the FASFA website, they have what's called a FASFA forecaster. You can plug in your own family's parameters and it will actually spit out what your expected family contribution might be based on your parameters and can also help describe what federal financial aid you might be eligible for or may not be eligible for. So some families will determine work study could become an option to help offset those costs at college. They'll also figure out how much they can take out in way of federal financial, financial loans from the federal government. Those are typically called Stafford loans. So we definitely encourage, or rather the federal government encourages all families across the country to fill out the FAFSA, even if they think they may not be eligible for much in way of aid. And that's because it actually helps them determine how much in terms of loans that student might be able to take out. Hopefully they don't have to take out any, or it helps determine at the school level what their financial aid package might be. So hopefully that helps. So Chris, both, both myself and Mike are big fans of the 529s. We've been practicing for uh, multiple decades and been recommending these to our clients. So now we're at the withdrawal stage where these young people that 20 years ago, we knew them as babies, now are young adults and going to college. Now we need to withdraw these monies and actually get the dollars to do what they were meant to do. Tell us about what a qualified expense is. We get this question all the time. Yeah, great question. So a qualified expense is pretty extensive. It covers everything from tuition and fees, room and board, books and supplies, also computers and related equipment. So if you need to use it for laptops, ink, uh, printers, et cetera, that's all lumped in now as a qualified expense. It also covers vocational and trade schools. So some families consider, what if my child doesn't go off to college? That's okay, they're flexible enough to now be covered for vo vocational and trade schools. They can also now be covered for apprenticeships, K through 12 tuition, up to 10,000 per child, and also for any old student loans that you might have. You can actually now pay up to 10,000 for old student loans. I, know, I don't know many people that have those still in the books, but if you did, you could use the 529 for that. This so, one misconception of the 529, and Dominic and I hear all the time, was well, if I don't use it for college, then I lose the money, which is patently incorrect. So could you, could you clarify that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So the good news about a 529 plan is that you can change the beneficiary on the account at any time up to first cousin. So it's a pretty long family line that you can exchange to. So for my kids, I can actually exchange it, my niece and my nephew, if I'm feeling pretty generous. I can also use it for myself. So if I go back for my MBA or an advanced degree, I can name myself as the beneficiary. I had a woman call in last week who wanted to go back to culinary school for herself. So she named herself as a beneficiary. That's really cool. My husband has asked if he can use it for Q school for golf. And I said, we're probably not going to have any leftover, but maybe. So that's another use of them. Well, Chris, if yeah. Congress had anything to do with those rules, it probably does qualify for <laughs> golf school. So that's just my opinion. But yes. And as long as it's on the FASPA website uh, under that school code search, it is considered accredited. So you can use it away. But the other cool flexible part about 529s is that they can be passed down to family generations. So if you may be saving for future grandchildren or as a generational legacy account, we have a lot of families do that. There is no age at which you have to take it out. So it can actually grow to perpetuity. And we see a lot of families, especially there in the New York area, want that legacy plan for future generations to go to college. One of the best gifts they can make actually. And both, just as a follow-up, both myself and Mike use it really extensively for grandparents gifting to the grandchildren. And I particularly like it because of the control issue where the grandparent really drives the bus on, on how the money gets distributed, when it gets distributed, and to whom. So maybe you could touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the best factors is that control factor. The account owner of a 529, typically mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, always dictate where those withdrawals go. 
And the good news is that even when the child reaches the age of majority, they can't pull that money out and access it to buy a boat or a Harley, for example. It has to be used for however the parent or the account owner dictates those monies to go. So we actually call, call that the Harley versus Harvard effect, where the child can't run off and buy a Harley, hopefully it will be used for Harvard in the future. So that account control is pretty big deal and a lot of families like that. Would you be able to um, talk about typically how money gets invested in the 529s? Um, I typically default to the age-weighted model. Um, and, and I think I told you just before our podcast started, my daughter literally started college in September of 2008. The tuition bill was due. Um, my son, who was four years younger, his, his account got clobbered. I had the money for my daughter. And then by the time my son started college, the money had grown back. So I have really firsthand personal experience how the age-weighted model works. I know there's some criticism to it, but could you speak to what the age-weighted model is and how are most 529s invested? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question. So there's three major ways that 529 plans invest. Up to your question, the age-based option is actually the most utilized across the country. And it invests based on the age of your child today. So if you have a young child who is perhaps a newborn, just born today, and you've got the best case scenario where you're investing right away, day one, that's amazing. Um, but we can be the most aggressive on that front end of that glide path because you have another 18 years before that child goes off to college. So what happens with the age-based model is that we will automatically shift their allocation to become more conservative as the child gets older. And then when they reach the age of college, we're making sure that the risk that they're taking on is a little bit less so that if the market does fall out, unfortunately, as it did in 2008, that we're helping to protect a little bit on the downside. And then the, the second option that a lot of clients will think about is what's called an asset allocation portfolio. And it's similar to age-based, except that it doesn't automatically roll to a next conservative portfolio. It stays in whatever asset allocation model you've invested in. So you can choose to be in a moderate portfolio, for example, if you feel like something that's aggressive or zero to five may be taking on too much risk. So you have a little bit of flexibility there. And again, it doesn't automatically reweight. So that is something that you would have to monitor and change over time. And then the third way to invest are the individual portfolios. And most plans have a number of individual portfolios where you can mix and match and create your own model. The only thing that I'll caution with those is that within 529s, you can only exchange twice per calendar year. Calendar year. That's a federal rule. So for most families that are trying to create their own models and move in and out of portfolios, you are a little bit handcuffed with the individual portfolios with that twice per calendar year rule. Um, so most families will choose either the age-based or the asset allocation portfolios where there can be unlimited exchanges within those models. And Chris, you, you represent J.P. Morgan Chase and the New York State 529. So maybe we can take the last few minutes to discuss both the pros and cons of using for a New York State resident using the New York State 529 versus pros and cons of using uh, an, another state 529 plan. Yeah. So the good news is the state of New York has set up what's called a state tax deduction. So any contribution that you make into a New York-based 529 plan is allowable for a state tax deduction. And for the state, it's up to 5,000 if you're an individual tax filer, 10,000 if you're married filing jointly. So pretty attractive state tax deduction. And that's each calendar year that you contribute. So that's definitely a pro. The con is that if you invest in another state's plan, you would not be eligible for that New York state tax deduction. So it does have to be a New York based plan if you are a New York resident. The other thing that I'll talk about is that our JP Morgan plan is an advisor sold plan. So clients would have to work with you in order to open and facilitate that account. 
they wouldn't be able to open it on their own. And I actually think that's a huge positive because then your team is able to help them, especially when they're in withdrawal season, trying to figure out what those rules are, what they're allowed to pull that money out for. It's a huge benefit to have someone like you and your team to be able to help them navigate that withdrawal season. Um, also to help them navigate which investment option to choose. Some families aren't comfortable with that. So those are the major benefits and takeaways from the JP Morgan New York plan. Um, there is another plan for the state of New York. It's sponsored by Vanguard and it's direct sold. So that's our competitor product within New York. And Chris, if I could just follow up real quick, one of the questions I get all the time is, well, then I'm restricted to a New York state school. I don't believe that's correct. That's right. You can actually use a 529 anywhere across the country. So those same federal benefits where those earnings are going to be tax-free, no matter which college you go to, that holds true. So you could own a New York plan and be a New York resident, but you could go to school anywhere within the country. The other cool thing is you can use it for some international schools as well. So as long as that school is listed on the FAFSA website under that school code search, it can all come out tax-free. So that's the flexibility component of 529s. Chris, thank you. Just to put a bow on this, we, we, we said FAFSA a lot. And for the benefit of our clients, that's F-A-F-S-A, -F correct? Correct. Yes, it's the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Sorry, our industry loves its acronyms, and that's loves another that. one. Yes. <laughs> and and, and then to me, the primary takeaway is that uh, uh, a parent or a grandparent or a guardian doesn't really get penalized for saving for college. They really get more affected by their income, not by the assets they've accumulated. Correct. That's absolutely right. And one quick question, yes or no, the 5% that you talked about that it gets counted, do qualified accounts get included in that? They don't. So Perfect. if you have retirement accounts or any life insurance, completely excluded, as well as your primary residence. Don't have to count your primary residence. So well, that's good news. So we're going to end on a high note. We are unfortunately out of time. And thank you very, very much for joining us this evening and answering our questions. And like always, we got to about half of them, so we'll be sure to have yeah, you. But a, but a terrific update and, and clarification, a lot of these questions that we get. So we look forward to having you back and continuing the conversation. I'd love to come back. Thanks so much for having me on. I enjoyed this. Thank Thanks, you. Chris. We'll be right back with Jordan Kimmel and Sam Stoll. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing. But I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom. But the beauty of the funds is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm -mm. Less taxes. More income. Less taxes. More income. Less for taxes. your cash. Ask your advisor mm -hmm. about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Less taxes. Or find out more at dcmadvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-T-A-X. Letax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax.
After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. And welcome back to the Labenthal Report. It's Jordan Kimmel, Chief Equity Strategist. And with absolute delight and pleasure, I bring on a colleague and a friend. It's Sam Sobel. Chief Investment Strategist from CFRA Research. And Sam, thanks so much for joining us again. Happy to be here, Jordan. Thanks for inviting me. All righty. Well, we have, a, we have a lot to, to go, a lot of time to do. So CFRA is kind of a long name. Most people, Sam, you're one of the most recognized faces and voices in the industry all those years with S&P. And um, I know you like to have some fun and bring all the music in. So one of the things I'm going to share with you is that uh, the reason I have you on is simply nobody does it better. (laughs) Thank you. Was that Carly Simon? All right. I think you got it. You're right on there. And so let me just start by saying, you know, if you read the front page, it's hard to be invested. You wrote some great pieces at year end. really trying to encourage people to stay the course because the evidence was in favor of a continued bull market a good year ahead. So um, maybe you want to kind of unpack some of that to start. Sure. Well, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of the Stock Traders Almanac, big fan of just stock market history in general. Um, I know you are as well. So we look to indicators. I always say that history is a great guide. It's never gospel. Um, But um, as Mark Twain said, it it does frequently rhyme. So looking at a couple of things, like we had 10 new highs through the end of February, which uh, was the, uh, the, the 11th greatest number going back to World War II. History says we expect about a 91% frequency of a full year advance when we have that many new highs that early in the year. The low for the first quarter was not below the December low. 95% of those years, the market is up for the full 12-month period. Um, This was in the top 20 of the first halves since 1945, and 100% of those uh, constituents were up for the entire calendar year. So a lot of little indicators, if you will, to say, you know what, this could end up being a better year than you might think. Right. And it has so far. And, you know, our clients are happy. We're running models. Uh, we're kind of conservative. We, we can't go to cash, even if we felt the market was tough. We, we would be strategic in what we do. But I, I want to touch on something because we've both been around a lot of cycles and the market is hitting new highs. Um, a lot under the surface is not hitting a new high right now. I want to address kind of the bigger market. Um, right now, people feel that they're safe, maybe in concentrated FANG positions. There's more to the market than FANGs. I want to kind of talk about maybe the internals and underneath just the indexes a little bit. Sure. Well, um, actually, thank goodness I reached out to you and I said, what are we going to talk about today? (laughs) And so that allowed me some time to do some homework ahead of time. Thank you. Um, Looking at the fangs, looking at the uh, the weightings that they have within the index. Uh, What's interesting is that, you know, if you look to uh, the the top 37 companies in the S&P 500, they represent 50% of the weighting. So basically, whatever happens to those top 37 companies really drives uh, the market as a whole. And then if you want to get even more specific, um, if you look at those letters of of FANG, um, you you only have to go to the top 11 if you want to have NVIDIA be the N rather than Netflix be the N. Um, And these FANGs, uh, F-A-A-N-N-G-G, not that I have a stuttering problem, but including the two uh, alphabet uh, companies, including Apple and Amazon, uh, Netflix and NVIDIA, those companies uh, represent 23% of the S&P 500. So it's an amazing number. But if you go back in time, if you plot out uh, the two largest sectors, the 10 largest sub-industries within the S&P 500, 
there's not a big correlation between how high or how large they, those two or those 10 represent uh, ahead of either bear markets or corrections, meaning declines of 10% to 20% over the last 20 plus years. So it is something that we look at, uh, but I would say you're better off looking at total market breadth, the number of companies above their 50 day, the number of companies, sub industries, et cetera, above their 200 day moving mm -hmm. averages to get a better feel as to where the market is headed. Right now we have 84% of the 147 sub industries in the S&P that are trading above their 200 day moving average. Uh, and that's a shade below uh, one standard deviation above the mean. It's fascinating, you know, and again, most people don't dig that deep. And, and you know, what I find right now is, you know, a magnet which you know well, blended value growth and momentum. Right now, it seems like it's just a momentum-driven market. The news is about momentum. They're even calling things hype coins, I mean, which is a, a new world for us. And the public is really just kind of chasing. I want to talk for a minute. I know you do tremendous fundamental factor and sector research. In fact, you've written a great book on, on sector rotation. But the point is, is that there's more to the market than momentum. And I think that we try to advise our clients not to try to get caught over your skis or ask us to take too much risk in achieving the goals. Well, momentum certainly is a factor. Uh, you know the old saying, let your winners ride, but cut your losers short, mainly because those companies, industries, sectors that have been underperformers have an awful lot of overhead resistance that they have to work through right. before they can finally work their way higher. Plus, think about it. How many investors who own a stock that's hit a 52-week high are disappointed? And how many of these undisappointed people are going to brag to their friends that <laughs> exactly. they own these stocks and those friends aren't going to do the homework, et cetera? But I agree with you that over the long haul, you really want to combine value and momentum, uh, something that James O'Shaughnessy wrote up very well in his book, What Works on Wall Street in the early 1990s. Unfortunately, because interest rates have been in a 40-year secular downtrend, uh, it's really the growth area that has benefited the most, especially uh, in this most recent decade when we've had interest rates being as low as they have been. Right. And, and, and I think you're right on on that. You know, you mentioned before the largest sector. We know it's technology. Remember, there was a time when energy was the largest sector. Uh, and now they're actually they call the energy sector value. Why? Because they just underperformed uh, so poorly for so long. There's some new life in it now. I want to mention something else um, where a lot of investors are kind of caught up in, in the very, very short term. Uh, I want to bring out the phrase, you can't hurry love, right? Uh, and, and one of the things I learned from you many years ago was the idea of the dividend aristocrats. Uh, and so I have a model running at Labenthal, which is a dividend growth model, which has really come on your shoulders, Sam, and I, and I owe you a lot for it. But I want to talk about sometimes uh, it's not timing, but it's time in the market and, and allowing dividend growth to work. Well, I think that is a supreme concept. Um, <laughs> you got it again. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, basically, um, when you look to high quality companies, uh, it's almost like saying I'm an investor, but I wear both a belt and suspenders. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for those companies that, especially if you are an income oriented investor, you really don't want to be acting like a trader. You want to be thinking like a landlord. And when you are buying a stock, it's for income. It's because like a landlord, you want to make sure that you get paid on that regular basis. Well, as a landlord, you're going to look for references. Well, uh, how about 25 years of consistently uh, paying your dividends? Oh, and by the way, I am a tenant who doesn't mind raising the or having the rent raised every year, which are the constituents within the dividend aristocrat index. So these are companies that uh, over a variety of economic cycles, stock market cycles, et cetera, 
um, have proven that they can continue to increase earnings and dividends. And I think over the long haul, that's why investors who are focused on income gravitate to these because they want to be successful um, landlords uh, in the stock market. Right. And, you know, I want to, want to bring something up on that, too, because, you know, some of the questions I get is, Jordan, if, if you're just buying for income, why are there trades in the accounts? And I actually do actively manage it. Some companies actually uh, or tenants may say, you know, they lose their jobs. They, circumstances change. So the idea is not to just buy and hold forever. It's buy and monitor, buy and watch. For the most part, the other models trade a little bit more frequently. We try to let these sit uh, and let their dividends grow. Absolutely. Uh, also, you can be too successful if you have a company that has done very well, that is a high payer, uh, but has, as you said before, gotten uh, over its skis. Uh, IQ Trends, uh, Kelly Wright, uh, put, publishes a great newsletter that actually monitors that type of thing uh, to show uh, those companies that have high quality earnings and dividend track records um, and that either represent terrific opportunities now or uh, based on their historical dividend to price ratio um, are a little bit expensive. So yes, you probably will have lower turnover in a higher quality portfolio than you would in a momentum portfolio. But every so often you do need to make some changes, uh, possibly because you've done your job too well and a company is now overpriced. Well, you've been looking over my shoulder and thank you for that. And, and I have to give some credit. I, I told my wife you're coming on. She gave me a couple of these songs. Uh-oh. One of the ones I want to bring on Dominic and Mike. And, and the idea is some clients are saying, hey, sell in May, go away. It's summertime. Maybe it's just time to eat a peach. But, <laughs> but I think what you really need to do is, is keep your focus and, and maybe make some modest changes but I, sh- I know that Dom and Mike were very excited to have you on. I think they might have their own questions. Um, and I just want to say, you know, for the record, you've been very influential for me. Your books on sector rotation, the books on, on the little book. Um, and and um, I just feel that, you know, we're fortunate in the industry to have you so long uh, as such a really kind of a strong voice. I want to ask you maybe before the producer brings you on, um, is there anything that is keeping you up at night and you're thinking that we should be looking at, looking around the corner uh, that you want to address that I haven't asked you? Uh, well, yes. Uh, first off, also just to let you know that I, I did realize that was the Almond Brothers. Uh, <laughs> you but, can't uh, slip anything by <laughs> Sam Stovall, folks. Our audience knows that already. That's awesome. Uh, just a big fan of music, as I am a big fan of yours. Uh, Two things that uh, imply that, you know, it probably wouldn't be bad for us to have some sort of a digestion of recent games. We've gone 270 calendar days since uh, we recovered from the last decline of 5% or more. The average for the 96 uh, 5 plus percent decline since World War II is 104 days. So almost three times as long. Uh, So as Brooke Benton once sang, it's just a matter of time. Uh, Also looking at July, we had seven new all-time highs in the S&P 500 in July. And one might think, oh, that's good. It gives us a running start for August. Well, unfortunately, maybe we run too quickly and we end up stumbling over our feet because August is among the three worst performing months for the S&P 500 and has risen in price only 55% of the time for all observations since World War II. Yet if you have one single new high or more in July, that 55% becomes 35%. And we had seven new highs in July, so six or more, and we fell 12 of 13 times. So uh, maybe we do end up stumbling later this month. All right. Well, we've been a little bit defensive and, and we think that uh, little sell-offs will be buying opportunities. But here's Dom and Mike and let's see what's on their mind. Hey. I think we're almost out of time. Just Thanks, uh, Mike. Sam, so real quick, uh, tomorrow we get a, our first in- inflation number for this month and Thursday. So really concerned that maybe inflation is going to run a little hotter than the Fed is expecting. Love your opinion. And what do we do about it? 
Well, PPI tomorrow, I think we're going to see that it comes in below the June number, uh, but still elevated. But I think that we're going to see it uh, continue to creep lower by the end of the year. CPI on Thursday will come in about one. 5.1% versus the 5.4, if I remember, for June, again, undercutting last month's and will continue to be eroded to about 4.8 by the end of this year. So, you know, Sam, you answered that really quick. So let me squeeze another one in. Last month's number with the GDP disappointed because it didn't hit 9%. Is that a matter of bad news actually being good news? Well, the bad news of being a little less than anticipated implies that maybe there's less pressure on the Fed to be accelerating their tapering timetable. We still believe that they're probably going to announce some sort of tapering to start in the end of this year. They won't announce it at the Jackson Hole meeting, but we think they will at the conclusion of their September FOMC meeting. But we don't think that they're going to raise rates until the end of 2022 at the earliest early 2023. And Sam, again, I apologize for the quick uh, rapid fire questions, but last half of the year, favorite sectors and where you think the market uh, might be have more value still left in it? Well, last half of the year, I'm calling this year um, strong start, favorable finish. Uh, and I believe that we are going to start to see a rotation back into the value and even back into the small ca uh, cap arenas. Uh, those groups did end up... Uh, doing very well early on. And I think investors uh, were taking some of the profits, but I believe that as the economy gets through the Delta variant concern, uh, we do start focusing on continued growth. 6.1 is our GDP growth for this year, 4.7 for next year. Uh, and the globe is likely to see a similar kind of growth this year and next. Right. Well, Sam, those are some powerful numbers and numbers we're really not used to, but these are unusual times. And we are going to come up to a break. The beautiful part about our podcast, it's all soft breaks. We don't need to interrupt anything if there's anything else on your mind. But I, I want to share, I watch a lot of financial news. I read everything. Uh, the only thing I, I put a, on mute a lot, but when Sam Stovall's on, you don't want to walk on by. You want to stop. Oh. You want to listen. And I'm all out of songs and I'm all out of time. It's great to have you here. And I want to just wish you a great rest of the summer. And uh, I hope you're kind enough to join us again. Thanks. Uh, bring Dion Warwick with you and uh, it'll be a great time. <laughs> Sam, Nothing thank slips you enough. by Rachel. Sam ever. Way to go. We'll take a real quick commercial break. That was Sam Stovall. Thanks, CFRA's everybody. chief Thank you, investment strategist and literally one of the biggest, most listened to minds on the street. Sam, thanks again for the time. Thank you. Great evening. Thanks. My pleasure. All righty. Bye-bye now. Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartsman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. I'm Michael Hartsman, and we're back with Dominic Tavella. You know, Dom, to be fair to both Chris and Sam, we had two great interviews tonight, and, and I want to kind of touch on both quickly because they both really brought a lot to the show. Um, just following up with Sam, we both known of him for years and really got a chance to meet him through Jordan. And we're grateful for that. But he's just a, such a calming, logical, no-nonsense um, analyst. Um, it's just always a pleasure to hear his views um, and, and what he brings, the perspective that he brings. Yeah, Mike, as you know, I, I've had the luxury to actually work on live TV with Sam over the last decade and was sat in the studio with him many a time. He's just such a calming, logical, common sense, which is probably my favorite thing uh, about his advice. And look, he's not trying to hit it out of the park. He just wants to be consistent with his returns and client returns. And that's right up our alley. I think he's really one of the real uh, statesmen of our industry. He is. And, and I don't know if he, I think his father, I think I've heard Jordan say his father was the uh, kind of the founder of the dividend aristocrat. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And his father was the foundation of this 
uh, but uh, he, Sam certainly has made his father proud. And uh, his advice going forward, I, I know I follow it, and uh, we use uh, those thoughts and ideas in our models and in how we consult with our clients. Uh, again, very sound, very stable advice. Yep, and we talked this morning, you know, about you know, the fact that the we the country missed its mark on the GDP number, which again I said this morning was probably bad news being good news, and Sam reiterated that. You know, the market's not as hot. Thank God, nine percent growth would have been insane, and it's almost a good thing that we fell well short of that number in the GDP read in um, in July. And I was I was actually surprised to hear his opinion on on the inflation numbers tomorrow and, and Thursday. Actually, that's a big, big factor in what we model into our portfolio. So uh, I was expecting hotter numbers. So I'm going to be very interested to see what we get in data uh, and how that gets relayed into our modeling. But uh, very interested in hearing uh, what he had to say tonight on the subject and very, very interested to see what happens over the next two days. Me too. And then, and then just to switch gears, the, the takeaway for me when talking to Chris and the misconception that most of our clients have is they think they're going to be punished with their ability yeah. to get financial aid based on their assets. And it's not, it's based on their income which to me was one of the primary takeaways of our interview with Chris. Well, I understand the client's misconception because it does have to get reported on the form. Um, but the good news, I think, is for both of us is it doesn't count anywhere near as terrible as clients had thought. So especially for us, which we're dealing with a, an older client base, grandparents who want to gift to their grandchildren and help with these really extraordinarily high educational costs. I think we can, in good faith, we can tell our clients, go ahead, do this. Having the money is better than not having the money. Exactly. And I can't wait to get on the phone with my clients over the next few days. And say, how do you feel about giving little Johnny $150,000? <laughs> we talked about it before we went on, on air. We have many clients that are, have these required minimum distributions from their retirement accounts. They don't, they don't quite need the money to live off of, or maybe not all of it. Maybe taking some of those dollars and putting them away for the grandkids is not such a terrible idea. Uh, and I can't wait to continue having those conversations as well with our clients. Neither, neither can I. And again, you know, being on Long Island, and there are a lot of Long Island schools that are that our clients' kids go to. Schools on Long Island are super expensive, and they are really punished because that that wage number of one hundred twenty-five thousand is not indexed. So, I mean, I, I appreciate that some parts of the country that number seems extraordinarily high. But two-income households on Long Island, that number barely pays the bills, let's be honest. Uh, and it doesn't leave an awful lot of money for the average couple to have uh, money saved aside for their kids' education. So they get boxed out of getting any real financial school aid and then are expected to, to pay that out of pocket and or borrow money. We know what the student loan debt is in this country. So look, uh, anytime you can save, it's better having the dollar than not having the dollar. Absolutely. And on that note, my friend, we are out of time. Well, Mike, we did it again and uh, uh, back to the old grind and I enjoyed it. So thanks for a great evening. Me too, Dominic. I'll see you down the road. I'll see you next week. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic, Michael, and Jordan will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.